0: I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine, and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance FM. Today, we'll be talking about transhumanism and posthumanism. As I understand it, posthumanism posthumanism thinks about what humanity is evolving into using high technologies of various types, including computers, bioengineering, drugs, and social programming. And transhumanism is about the sort of ubermention we'll become on the way to being the new species. To discuss if we should engineer ourselves and what the future has in hold for us, I have with me Deborah Shaw from the University of East London, Blair Whitby from the University of Sussex, and David Gomez from Imperial College London. Bucky Mattel will be providing live music on the Chapman stick. So before we go on, I've heard that it's a fundraising day today, so uh, if you want to support the work of Resonance and all these wonderful programmes, you can text RZFM14, then the pound sign, and either five or ten to seven oh oh seven to donate via text message. Um, you can use your donate using your credit or debit card. Simply go to ResonanceFM.com and click on the donate widget on the right-hand side of the screen. Or if you c- can make checks playable to Resonance FM and send them to Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM, One Four Four Borough High Street, London SE One One LB. Uh, UK and I'll give that ad- address out later. But back to posthumanism and transhumanism. What about my definition of uh, of those uh, concepts? Does anybody want to add anything to those definitions?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't mind, um, <laughs> Debbie. Yeah. Um, in, in some senses, yeah, you're quite correct. One definition of post-humanism is, is like to, to accelerate human evolution to the next stage. Right. Which for some people, like, uh, for instance, Max Moore of the Extra P Institute, means uploading brains into computers. Um, Cryogenic suspension, like freezing ourselves mm-hmm. until you know medical science moves on. Um, but it, it is actually a contested term. There's some of us that that, that see that kind of definition to be ethically somewhat suspect. Um, and we talk about posthumanism more in in a as a way of challenging what it means to be human in the first place.
0: Okay, so it's not necessarily to do with the future. It's just maybe a different. Uh, perspective on things
1: yeah it's 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 a different perspective it's a politi- certainly a political perspective and and it does have something to do with the future because it may point the way to rethinking the human so that it, it isn't um, a category that people necessarily aspire to okay uh david what
2: well you for example say? that we thought of man as the center of the universe yeah. for the last 500 years or so uh-huh. and then one of the approaches to posthumism in, in, in the sense that Deborah's talking about is in the sense that we're so now we find that we're not particularly special as a species, we're right. not particularly special in space, we're not special in any particular way. So.
0: Why aren't we? I mean we, we're the only ones that can use abstract concepts for instance, isn't that very special?
2: We have some special things but at the ah. same time we're very much embedded in a world, we're, very much, we're not genetically special in any way, yeah. in this kind of stuff.
3: Okay, Blay, what did you want to add? I don't think a lot hangs on definitions, actually. Where I agree with Deborah is that there are quite a number of people who are enthusiasts for technology that it looks like being able to modify us in in a very big way. And I as an ethicist i'm very worried about where this can end up um i I mean i should point out that the world transhumanist association changed its name to humanity plus uh uh, but there are still many people who who behave in a cultish fashion here that you know they have a lot of and a lot of enthusiasm for for various sorts of high technology all right um I think we'll probably
0: get into that, but first could you tell me, uh, or tell us all what your in- your particular interests are in the intersection of technology and human destiny please, I'll start with the ladies please, Deborah.
1: Okay, having called me a lady, I'm now going to correct you and say I'm not a lady, no. I'm a feminist Alright, um, can't feminists be ladies? Uh, no <laughs> anyway. but we won't go into that um, actually, no, my, my interest in it is actually through um, gender politics Right. Um, because I was developing a, a, a theory, uh, if you like, um, some years ago where I was thinking through women's relationship to technology right. and um, there was always this sense that women were so, kind of kind closer to nature and that, that men were the ones that produced culture mm-hmm. and that they were the technologically savvy ones and we right. just kind of used the technology. Mm-hmm. And um, I came across a theorist called Donna J. Haraway who is very famous now for, for um, writing a, a paper called The Cyborg Manifesto where she put forward an argument that uh, that women, you know, the, the future for feminism was for women to understand ourselves as cyborgs, um, to stop claiming that, that our bodies stopped at the skin and mm-hmm. that we were in some sense, um, you know, we had a very close relationship to technology. Even to go so far as to say that we have evolved with technology mm-hmm. rather than that we have evolved and that we use tools. Um, so, so this isn't this is my perspective on, okay. on posthumanism.
0: How does that inform what you think about the debate about what the human future? is going to be, especially in technological terms?
1: Um, I think that we, we need to rethink the, the, the human future away from think um, the idea of improving the human, because mm-hmm. that, that implies that we know what improvement means. Okay. We've lived through modernity with this idea of progress um, and we, we've, we've found other races, other species that, you know, to plot somewhere further down the line of evolutions so that we can prove that we, we are the, the most Pro- progressed. All right. um, and so I, I think if we can use post humanism to move away from that kind of hierarchization, uh-huh. then that would be the future.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. Play, what's your particular interest in uh, this area?
3: I'm a technology ethicist. I'm active on ethics committees for the Royal Academy uh, for Engineering, BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT, the university, and so on. I think the public needs to be aware of very big ethical choices mm-hmm. that are being made some of these choices are being made without any public consultation by technologists right now uh, that yes there's a gender politics aspect to it but there's very very little public debate there's a bunch of enthusiasts as i say a bunch of people really pushing this technology a debate about what, what would the debate be about what do you want what changes do you want um, uh, and you're going to have to allow some changes. You're going you're to have to make... Very uh, important choices, and there may be no way back from you some right. of them. I mean, to really situate the ethical debate, there's right. the the World, Associati- asso- the World Transhumanist Association used to say, uh, I don't know if they still do, in a, a paper on their website, that uh, by the end of this century, the difference between improved humans, humanity plus, the modified humans, and natural humans, mm-hmm. which means us, would be at least as great as the difference between uh, and chimpanzees. Now, we don't let chimpanzees take ethical decisions for us and we claim the right maybe rightly maybe wrongly to take ethical decisions for chimpanzees if if that's even half true if, if even even if only a small part of this technology actually works we're at a very worrying position okay. now we we need some rules we we need guidance and my experience of people actually working with the technology working with medical enhancement working with robots uh, working with smart homes uh, working with pharmacological techniques is they want ethical guidance they, mm-hmm. they want to know what the public think but there's this a, a, a rather limited debate
0: okay well hopefully we'll have a little bit of that now but okay th- david what's your a particular area of interest in terms of technology and the future that we're making for ourselves
2: well i'm working Part of my work's on sort of neural networks, robotics, this kind of stuff. So in a sense, I'm one of the evil technologists uh, that Blaise talking okay. about.
0: So you've got a more positive uh, outlook for the future then? More fatalist
2: we- than positive, I think. I, I think that all this... In mean, my opinion, a lot of this debate is premature, really, because I don't think we really know when or if things are going to change in the way that many of the future-oriented people think they will change. So... <laughs> Um, I'm a little bit fatalist in that sense.
0: But and surely, I mean, it's, now is the time before things really kick off to sort of try and sort out some of the ethical problems, you know? I,
2: th- I think the ethical problems become crystallized when you have technology that actually is transformational like when Dolly the sheep got cloned. All oh, right. That's when all the real legislation only about when cloning... things start happening Yeah, exactly, it becomes yeah.
0: Important, yeah. Uh well, you work in the field of artificial intelligence like you say. I was going to say even this early in the game are there problems how we pursue better, better computing technology and artificial intelligence even now?
2: Well, I think the people there's this built in this notion of rapid super rapid progress in in technological right. fields and
0: yeah, especially but, computing yeah. especially
2: computing but people don't in realising parallel just how difficult and hard it's been. I mean, it's been 60 years or something, and yeah. we've been working on artificial intelligence, and you can barely get a robot to pick up a banana and stuff like that. And so
0: you don't think there are ethical problems?
2: Not yet, because I don't think we've got technology that's sufficiently challenging to, to merit these kind of okay. very extended discussions. In maybe area.
3: later.
0: All right, uh, Blair, you're sort of itching to sort of break
3: in here. Yeah, I, I think there are some present-day technologies that are raising ethical issues, uh-huh. and it, you don't need massive progress in robotics and artificial intelligence uh, to produce some of them one that's really coming into market now uh, is smart homes these are automated apartments to support elderly people right. maybe someone with with alzheimer's or degraded cognitive capacities um, and the ethical argument in favor that i often hear is well old people are frequently mistreated in care homes and mm-hmm. so on if we can give them this this Artificial uh, support, and, and and I have to say to David, it doesn't require really any new technology. We're talking about motion sensors, temperature sensors, uh, barcode reader for what goes into the fridge and what comes out so of the fridge. So, what's the
0: problem with all this stuff? Then it seems like just another application of current technology.
3: Ah, oh, well, here's a problem. I'd be interested to hear what what the others think about this. Uh, one problem is. Uh, that the, the technologists are all for it. Right. it it costs a lot of money a lot of research money to develop a smart home yeah. uh, but when you've developed it you want to sell a lot right. so there's going to be a, a lot of pressure a lot of commercial pressure for people to put their granny in an automated apartment rather than look after her now that, that may be great that may be a, a, a future that we want we don't want old people around so let's let's, yeah, let's have the ai look yeah. after them but on the other hand we might think we don't want to move in that direction this is this is kind of came back to deborah's point about let's have a debate about what it is to be human
0: how things could go wrong couldn't you if you take a human out of the loop deborah
1: yeah i actually quite like the idea of this smart home because (laughs) as a as a writer i just fancy having everything done for me by by an ai so that i can Concentrate on thinking would be quite wonderful, um, but I, I don't think that there, that there are new ethical problems with coming technologies. Right. I think that we, we've always had ethical problems with technologies, and one of the biggest problems that we've had is who, the, who these technologies are, are available to. Okay. And um, when when Blay was speaking earlier about the you know the, the the people that will be the evolved humans, and mm-hmm. they will be the sort of normal whatever yeah. you, that, that is humans, the unevolved left. ones, <laughs> yeah, the unevolved ones, mm-hmm. and the we'll have this kind of hierarchy well that, that's kind of a, a, a just another way of describing the fact that the rich will be able to pay for something that the poor won't be able to afford we've, we've got the same ethical problems now yeah. as we will have oh, in the well, future we,
0: we'll talk a bit about the ethics after the break I, one question I want to ask you that you indicated that I should ask you is uh, you want to stress two importantly distinct meanings of the term post-humanism uh, yeah. what are they and and, and what did Michel Foucault say about that
1: okay yeah, yeah. Um, um, this, the, the, this, what I want to stress is that you know what tends to be um, written about quite a lot in the press is the meaning of posthumanism, which I described earlier, yeah. um, which I think sort of Blaze's been talking about a little bit, which is the the, the evolved human, the, the, the human that is that you know is actually dispensing with the flesh, right. getting right. rid of the body, because let's let's face it, the body is a bit of a nuisance, um, and, and finally gradually, becoming gradually. yeah yeah, and that, that our our rational our rationality the sort of the liberal human individual evolves into a machine yeah, um, and this this is this is this is the one of course that gets all the press headlines but I, but i for me post-humanism is is political and and it's the the challenge to um what we've understood by the term human i believe comes from michel foucault i've i've mm-hmm. I, I think french in,
0: philosopher yes sorry, french
1: philosopher this uh, yes Died last, the end of last century. Um, that he, in one of his books, The Order of Things, um, he talks about um, this uh, character called Man, in quotes. Mm-hmm. I'm putting it in quotes. Um, who, you know, he says at the end of the book, it will, will hopefully disappear like the face on the edge of the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, because he thinks that, that modernity invented. Um, a, a concept of man mm-hmm. and it's a it's a highly unequal concept um that only certain uh, people could aspire to 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 be man because it was defined by by white westerners basically all
0: right um, so this is a completely different concept of post yes, really yes it, it
1: is and, and i think it's, it's for me it's the important one
0: uh, yeah. okay um well I, i'm gonna get uh, bucky to play a track now uh He's playing a Chapman stick. I've got getting him to say a little bit about what that is for the uninitiated.
4: Okay, this instrument is called a Chapman stick. This one has 12 strings. Uh, there's no, it's sort of like a guitar and a bass all wrapped up together. Uh, it was developed in 1969 by a guy named Emmett Chapman, Southern California and uh he took off the guitar part of it so it looks like just one big guitar neck and uh it uh, it's played by tapping my right hand taps the lead the lead strings which are tuned to perfect fourths and my left hand taps taps the bass strings which are tuned to reverse fifths and uh I'll give you a little example of that I'd really like to dedicate this uh this song here to uh to a Valentine's that I couldn't be with tonight because of because of this this show which is wonderful uh this is this goes out to Karen and her daughter Jamie and Herman all right what's the song called the name of this song is uh, are you going with me it's a pat metheny tune okay
0: being enhanced human. Uh, I'm Grant Bartley. You're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance. Uh, we're doing a little fundraising at the moment, so uh, there's there are three ways I got here that you can uh, give Resonance money to help support their great work. Uh, you can text RZFM14 to Z70070. By text. Uh, You've got to do RM- RZFM 14 in the pound sign in either 5 or 10. Then you can uh, use your credit or debit card uh, on ResonanceFM.com and click on the donate wi- widget and follow the instructions or send a check to ResonanceFM at Resonance 104.4 FM 144 Borough High Street, London SE1 1LB. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Good stuff, right? We're we're talking about humanism and uh, post-humanism and transhumanism, and uh, we've had a few definitions, but we're going to get into the ethics of of our self evolution, if you like. Blay, you wrote to me in the email that the possibility of us enhancing our evolution through technology is the greatest intellectual challenge facing humanity. I think that's a quote from you. Why do you think that? Oh
3: well, that that's quite simple, really. I think uh, understanding the physical world has been quite a challenge, right. uh, and the biological world we we it's clearly uh, slightly more difficult to understand ourselves. Right. We, we haven't done quite so well at that, but we're no. solving a lot of the problems mm-hmm. now. Um, in, in particular, we can now scan living brains. Uh, it, we can do some quite advanced research on ourselves. But this is an order of magnitude harder than understanding ourselves. What is, sorry? Uh, The the problems of transhumanism because Mm -hmm. we we have to take decisions about our future selves which... uh, which could be very different. The our technology descendants. We could affect our descendants irrevocably. Could really. be very different. Yeah. And, and actually, to to motivate the ethics, I'd like to pick up on what Deborah said about right. the politics. Because sure. th- that's really important here. And, and the listeners need to think about the politics. I was at a, a meeting uh, the... A, a transhumanist meeting earlier this year, and um, a, a speaker, a, a famous TV personality, who I shouldn't probably shouldn't name, uh, gave a, a program for extending human life right. indefinitely. Right. And, and I should emphasise for the listeners that technology is science fiction; uh, ageing and death is still is still a problem. We haven't solved that one. Okay. But he has a, he he believes it's solver, and a lot of people in the movement think uh, that there are people alive now who'll live to be a thousand and so on and as part of his spiel you know when the questioning got difficult he turned to the audience of mainly postgrads and a handful of journalists and said how many of you would like to live forever and of course he got you know an, an overwhelming vote yes mm-hmm. but he that was a, an ill-posed question what he should have said is how do you feel about living a normal lifespan But your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren growing up in a world where some very wealthy Californians, because he was sponsored by a a, a Californian fund, have indefinitely extended their lifespan and they've used that extended lifespan to further increase their wealth. Right. And they, and we're living in a world where wealth is becoming more concentrated and some of the wealthy are using this wealth to extend their life and so on. This is, this is an important political situation and I, I don't think it's science fiction. Okay. Uh, it, it's happening now and people really need to say whether you want to grow up in, in a world like okay. that or your grandchildren to grow up oh, in I, such a world. They, David, what did you want to say in response no, to that? Just to
2: respond to that, I think that one of the fears of transhumanism, post-humanism is that there'll be an elite who can afford to buy yeah. the technology that makes them more intelligent, that makes them more successful, and this kind of stuff, right?
0: Well, not everybody but, can afford no. all technology. Well, 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 no,
2: but you can make the same argument about smartphones, right? You right. can say, you know, before smartphones were invented, there'd be an elite who can afford Apple, yeah. you know, whatevers, and they'd be able to communicate more rapidly, and they have this and that, and they'd be able to access their dictionaries on the fly, whatever, mm-hmm. and therefore there'd be this super race of people with with smartphones and who run ahead of everyone else and get some kind of weird hierarchy. But you get all kinds of feedback, you get all kinds of... It depends how expensive the technology is. These are all questions that aren't even vaguely answered yet, right? If it's a simple pill that you pop.
0: Okay, so you're probably saying um, maybe all this worry is a bit sort of premature. It
2: could work in different ways. It could lead to an intelligent super elite, but it could equally lead to something Uh, like a smartphone.
0: Yeah. Deborah, what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, I I think that... um, that you know personally i wouldn't want to dispense with my body for a start and i'm not sure that i actually want to live forever i i think that that ethically again i'll say you know i'll repeat that we still have the same ethical problems we probably had a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. first of all that we haven't yet learned how to deal with having bodies we're very bad at having bodies Uh, we're embarrassed by our bodies most of the time and i think you know one one of the things i would want to see addressed is 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 that we uh, learn to live with our bodies and learn to understand our bodies not as as ending at the skin, but as being... as complementary if you like with technology that technology is a part
0: of us it always has been a part of us So how is people going to learn that? Um, I think
1: that we need to start thinking about our, ourselves differently I think we have moved into a new way of thinking about the body in that we have the technologies which uh, digitalise us um, we, you know, we used to think of our, our bodies as simply organic so we're co- a collection of organs that kind of worked together in some sort of harmony and very often didn't yeah. I think what we've, what we've we 've begun since the mid 20th century at least to start thinking about ourselves particularly you know um, in, in terms of DNA and genetics it, um, as, as, as a kind of computer program for want of a better way of putting it. Um, we talk about ourselves in terms of genetic inheritance now as, as opposed to what you know it used to be the discourse of blood we used to talk about blood mm-hmm. we now talk about genetics we, we understand ourselves somewhat as digitalized and I think that i 'm um, not going to propose what our new eth- should be, but certainly we need to start thinking about us, understand how we're understanding ourselves differently, how science influences the way that we understand our bodies, Mm -hmm. and learn to
0: live with those bodies. So that's your preferred post-human direction, I suppose. It certainly is, yes. Um, I I would... One of the big areas is that we must have learned that our applications of high science have significant, unexpected, bad consequences. Why are, are, say, genetic engineers not being super cautious, especially in regard to something as complex, fundamental and ubiquitous as biology? Why do they pretend that they're not courting nuclear scale
3: hubris? Anybody? And, 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 well, let me take that. I, I think we are being cautious. We're being particularly cautious in Britain, where there's a, a voluntary moratorium on uh, human genetic modification. But not um, around the world, though. Uh, and it, so uh, what happens in other countries is interesting. But even with this barrier, um, in, in a. In a, a Probably the best book in the area back in the eighties, mm-hmm. Jonathan Glover. Uh, the book was called "What Sort of People Should There Be," and I think that's the key question here. That, in in a nutshell, it's a mm-hmm. very readable book. He says uh, stopping it, um, putting barriers up against it, is only temporary because there will always be beneficial applications of human genetic modification, which will mean you'll have to keep uh, relaxing the barriers. So we might as well face the difficult question now, and I rather agree. and Since the 80s, I've seen examples of of him being perfectly correct about that. I've seen people saying, you must let us uh, create a so-called savior sibling. In other words, Mm -hmm. a selected embryo to bring a child into existence, which will provide a bone marrow transplant for our already existing innocent sick child and it's very difficult as an ethicist to say no we have we have a blanket restriction on this technology that could save your child um you you tend to say well okay we we must forget our restriction because this is a beneficial use of the technology and and there are always going to be beneficial uses so we'll have to keep backing down and i'm afraid we need to we we really need a clear ethical framework about What's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Oh, in fact, to yeah, bring it that, back to present that, technology, right. I, again, you know, I, I teach medical students and they're all adamant that they would do everything in their power to resist abortion on the basis of gender selection. But there are places in the world where this is going on, we know it. Mm, yeah. um, And this is, if if you let parents use these techniques, this is the sort of thing you have to worry about. But this is, you know, this is, I mean, as you say, this
0: is for an area that not many people would disagree that that's a fair use of uh, biotechnology. I guess the question is, what are the rational limits or limitations on on what we should allow ourselves to do as, you know, humans?
2: I mean, it seems fair enough that you should you know prevent people inheriting you know breast cancer gene or something like that i mean all these kind of
0: genetic yeah, but, fixes sure but um, my question was like oh, we muck mucking about with genetics we're really messing about with a very highly complex interrelated system that we don't really know that much about it's like
2: uh yeah but if we're playing also, with fire we're playing with fire but also we're the house is already burning down right i right. mean we're in the middle of people one of the issues I have with people who are against transhumanism, posthumanism, whatever, is that they view what we have now as some kind of static, perfect world that, you know, will be irrevocably destroyed if we do something wrong with it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a it's something that's constantly changing what we are to be human, you know, the human body, well, that, the human genetics. Well, that's true. The, but the, the, question the question is, what are the limits I
0: mean, of what we should be doing? I mean, like I say, nobody would d- deny that, you know, if you're having a uh, a child to help save her brother, that's fine. But there must be limits, like having a child so that you can harvest their organs would be a bit dodgy, wouldn't it, for instance...
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that then I want to go back to your question and, and kind of pick it apart a yeah. bit here, okay. because I, I think, you know, that, that one of the problems is, is with, with the way that science is done. And, you know, it's not down to the scientists, really, to decide um, what use is made of their work. Basically, I mean, there are all sorts of problems, I have to say, with the way science is done, even in the laboratory, when you think about what gets funded, um and uh, particularly now when when um, there is more private funding than than state funding in science and so it's 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 very you know the ethics has to start there with you know there are certain corporations that have a vested interest in developing certain scientific ideas and so that there are a lot of others potential ideas that don't get funded
0: so what should they what should they allow and what shouldn't they allow to fund what should be funded and what should be banned
3: perhaps
1: I don't think, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't want to say what should be funded and what should be banned. What I would say is that the, the actually the whole system needs to be looked at. And I think that... Which whole know, system? The co- you mean the, the government? Contem- yeah, no, contemporary neoliberal capitalism. Right. Which which puts a lot of power in the hands of certain corporations. I mean, we've, we've been talking throughout this session about, you know, the, the rich benefiting from technology uh-huh. and leaving behind a, you know, a, a, a swathe of poor people that will not benefit. And I think that the, the, the current system um, encourages um, laissez-faire right. development of, of all sorts of projects that um, simply, you know, go ahead because the funding is there and because they benefit certain people, they benefit certain corporations is, is perhaps Yeah, but important. I can't
0: see that uh, the revolution is just around a corner. So given the fact that things are going to carry on, uh, you know, this century more or less, as they have been, or at least for the first half of this mm-hmm. century, then what sh- yeah. Why shouldn't
2: someone who's made money in the company in whatever way choose to fund the, the research that they feel particularly interesting, such as keeping like a long lifespan or something like that? If that's their concern,
1: because I think the interests are not just uh, blue sky interests. I think no. that the the interests are, are are to to further the interests of corporations. Well, um, naturally, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yes, but then people will suffer, and whether you you know, I, I I guess then you have to think about whether that matters. Whether you think there's a trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. Whether you think that if local... Of people make you know it's a small amount of people make money than other people oh. benefit. We're into all sorts
0: of okay, you know, very some, complex. To paraphrase you, it's the same problem that we've had for a long time of uh, dif- advantages creating elites, and this is just another way that uh, the elites can gain more advantage through their. Their wealth to make them even wealthier, and it's the same ethical problem as that always, yeah.
1: I think, I, yeah, I think in a nutshell, it's the same ethical problem that we've always had.
0: Yes. Okay, uh, Blay, you want it first?
3: Can I put a bit of a philosophical spin sure. on this, given the name sure. of the program? Yeah. I mean, I don't, d- I don't deny the politics, and I think the problem of elites is real and now, um, but. Uh, what if uh, you're, you follow Bentham and Mill, uh, utilitarian philosophers of the nineteenth century, yeah, uh, then your guiding principle on, say, whether or not to allow uh, a saviour sibling to be created is the benefit, maximum benefit to the maximum number. Yeah. On the other hand, if you followed Immanuel Kant,
4: uh-huh.
3: a German idealist philosopher, then it's just wrong to do this, because you're using uh, a person uh, as a means, uh, not as an end in themselves. So it's just wrong on his morality. And, and I suppose it's also worth remarking, I'm, I'm a, as a secular moral philosopher, but most people get their moral principles, most people in the world get their moral mm-hmm. principles from religion right. and a lot of the world's major religions have very strong views on this they're not going to go for it um, so it... it I, I think it's a shame that, in a way, the technology is r- running ahead of our ab- ability to conceptualise the issues philosophically. Uh, we, we, you know, we need answers, and there's there's too many unresolved philosophical questions behind it. You you need to come down on on one side or the other. Well, I think okay. you can
2: also talking about it all in general is tricky. You really need to look at specific is issues. Like, yeah, sure. I would yeah, agree with that. Yeah. You can't really I, answer uh, it in
3: general.
0: Oh, well, well, unfortunately, we don't have the time. But one specific issue that I'm going to ask you, David, is. Um, um, if we use clever computers to de- design even cleverer computers, then growth in computer intelligence could become exponential, which means swing. Uh, what limits or safeguards should there be around the developments of artificial intelligence, if any?
2: Right. So, so this is the notion of the singularity, right? That if uh, you develop, it? it's, called, mean? it's called the singularity. Yeah. It's one of the sort of features of the singularity, so called. That if you can you design it becomes a self-accelerating thing that once you get beyond a certain you say i design a computer and then that computer designs a faster computer or better smarter computer mm-hmm. and then you get a whole chain of computers that in in turn design even more intelligent computers At a certain point you're going to get a sort of acceleration of intelligence that leaves us all behind that's the sort of right, motion yeah. of, of the singularity so
0: uh, shouldn't there be limits on uh, on what we do in artificial intelligence in that case well
2: so, so there's two ways to approach this one, one way of approaching it is to say well maybe this is a problem maybe we can model this in computers we can do computer models of the singularity itself right. build sort of little programs and get them to create copies themselves and uh-huh. explore how it works and what sort of parameters are how we can make it safe and so on The second way of looking at it is to say, well, what we really need is to understand what's going on inside the computers that are intelligent so we can see how they're making their choices about the world and this kind of thing so we can Mm -hmm. design computers that are friendly, even if they are a bit more intelligent than us, that's okay, right? Right. And the third point is that, well, we're so far from getting to the singularity, in my opinion, that it's not something that... W- when we've got a few computers that look a bit like it, yeah. then we can start to, you know, we'll start to understand where right. we are okay. and we can start so to we're it.
0: so far from real artificial intelligence, it doesn't really matter. Or even if it's know.
2: in 20 years, then in 20 years' time we've uh, got a computer that's almost as smart as us, and we can start having a conversation about it.
0: Okay, we're going to talk about some other consequences of this stuff in a minute, but now I'm going to get Bucky to play Another song on this Chapman stick. Uh, This is
4: called Chameleon, is that right? It's a Herbie Hancock tune.
0: Herbie Hancock, okay, guys. that was uh, Chameleon by Bucky Mattel. uh, By Herbie Hancock. By Herbie Hancock originally. (laughs) Interpreted by me. Okay. Uh, This is Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine. We're on the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance. And they want uh, me to announce that you can give them money, and please do. It's... uh, Text them at RZFM14, followed by the pound sign and either five or ten pounds to seven zero zero seven zero to donate via text, or go to the ResonanceFM.com website to donate from the donate widget, or send cheques payable to Resonance FM. Uh, to Resonance 104.4 FM, 144 Borough High Street, London, SE1, 1LB. The future is in your hands, guys. And we're going to talk a bit about the consequences and stuff of, of what we're doing for our future now. So uh, I have with me De- Deborah Shaw, David Gomez and Blay Whitby, and we're talking about uh, the evolution of humanity through technology. So uh, let me ask, what do you think... It's realistic to think will happen with human enhancement or technological enhancement on what
3: sort of time frame? Uh, Blake? Um, Well, I'd I'd like to point out that it's perfectly possible now. Uh, And in one area, people know all about it. The listeners will be only too aware that the Olympics are coming up this summer. And we now know an awful lot about how to make people jump higher, run faster by (coughs) we can actually develop different types of muscle. We, We could, in fact, select people, select embryos at birth to make them super athletes. And we can certainly give them lots of drugs to do this. So the idea that human enhancement is some science fiction possibility is clearly wrong we know how to do it now and in fact we've taken the attitude that to do this is is cheating somehow and Mm -hmm. it's it's a strange attitude because you're allowed to develop your muscles and your heart and your speed through extensive training through lifelong training but uh, but intervention you know more technological intervention we regard as cheating well that's okay we've taken that view um i wonder if people want to take that view about everything but we don't take that view about intervention no. uh in the case of illness uh and there's a a very a very hazy moral line between enhancement and therapy yeah uh and we know that that we're blurring that distinction we we know that we give breast enlargement operations on the national health for example yeah. um and that's presumably regarded as therapy rather than enhancement but but there is this gray area perhaps you can (laughs) say that if
0: if you can sell an enhancement as a therapy then it's okay yeah
3: I, except in the case of athletic performance right. because there any medical enhancement is is at the moment regarded as wrong of course we also know that it's so readily and easily available that there'll have to be extensive resources put into trying to catch cheats and they won't all okay. be caught we we already know this so we we already confront human enhancement technology in that area so all i right, think okay. it's not in the distant future all it's right. now deborah what did you want to <laughs> respond to that
1: yeah um, i'm glad that play actually mentioned illness because one of one of the interesting problems we're coming up against is how you define death.
0: you, is that a di- pro- why is that a problem?
1: Oh, it's it's a, a huge problem, particularly if you think about the United States. You can yeah. actually cross a state line and be alive in one state and dead in another. Oh
0: yeah. Um,
1: because the definition of brain death is 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 changing all the time. Um, in fact, there you know there's. I was going to cost- say
0: put your redneck joke in here somewhere. Yeah that yeah. He- <laughs> if I
1: had one, so I'm afraid <laughs> I don't.
0: Uh, <laughs> sorry, what were you saying?
1: Um, but yeah, but so so that we actually have you know a problem at the moment in that we. Because of um, medical uh, um, technologies, we actually can keep people alive beyond the point where they were thought to be alive um, even 20 years ago.
0: Okay, why is that a problem though?
1: Um, I think it's an interesting conundrum rather than a problem. Um, I think that once we can't, once we have problems defining. I mean, you know, if you at uh, some point in history, if someone dropped dead and didn't uh, appear to be breathing, they were dead. Okay, yeah. um, okay, I know people got buried alive and all this sort of thing, but 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 uh, you know, it, it was much simpler. Right now, we you know we have a conundrum, which is that if we we cannot define what it means to die, then we it, it reflects on what it means to live.
0: Yeah, Um, well, surely there's there's room for sort of vagaries and and doubts in a lot of things, isn't there? I mean, it's the the fact that we can't say, okay, at this precise point you're dead. That mm -hmm. doesn't create a big practical problem in most in like ninety nine point nine nine percent of.
1: Well, it does. When, it does when you have um, problems of whether to turn, you know, to turn off machines that are keeping people oh, alive. See, yeah. For instance, uh-huh. um, when uh, you have medical insurance, which can keep you alive, or you don't have medical insurance, so you know, hard luck. Um, where keeping people alive on machines um, is. Also connects with this idea of, you know, uploading brains into computers, which, um, you know, uh, Blaise has talked about, the, the Extra P Institute, Humani- Humanity Plus, all these um, organisations. This is, this is one of the things that they're talking about. Um, also, um, as far as the kind of enhancement is concerned, I just want to say something about this idea of um, uh, sportsmen and women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, enhancing themselves with drugs. Uh, I find it quite amusing, this whole debate, because of the, because they're accused of cheating. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, well, who is what is the optimal human that is supposed to to, to take part in these sports without any enhancement? Mm-hmm. Where is this human? Can you point to this person that is, you know, unenhanced? Yeah, it, uh, so you're
0: human- basically saying there's a sort of arbitrary line between what's yes. considered cheating, yeah. a good... Enhancement and bad exactly, enhancement. That's yeah. Exactly, that's yeah, exactly what I was saying. Up uh-huh.
1: what is saying. This, this it's this quite
0: it. arbitrary. Line exactly, yeah. and
1: yeah. It, it connects to that whole debate about what it means to be human in the first place. All oh,
0: right, uh, David, I want to ask you because you're um, like into uh, computing technology. How, what do you think will be happening in the near future with the advancement of computing technology? So What's sort of on the horizon? Just
2: like make one small point related okay. to the previous points, then I'll, I'll say one thing about that. Um, is that we're comp- there's a strand of thought within philosophy and computer science and robotics that a large part of our cognition, if you like, is distributed through the tools and through our environment. Yeah. The sort of this notion that if I want to remember something, I don't necessarily store it in my head. I write it on a piece of paper. And so our basic human... Um, Ability to think and act is all very dependent on our environments, and those environments have been massively enhanced, right, through the Internet, through right, all, sure. all the technologies, through the through radio communication, all this kind of stuff. So we're already enhanced, and as we keep developing technology, however, whether we fiddle around with the human body or not, we're always going to be enhancing and changing the way we think and sure. act in the world. So it's not like we're going again, it's going back to this notion that we're in a pure state, and then suddenly we're going to change the human, if you like. We're already –
0: but um, I would say, in response, you know, there are some things we know what happens when we do them because we've had, like, hundreds of years of doing it. Well, like the so internet? We, or? No, no, in terms of, like, if you <laughs> exercise and you're going to develop your muscles <laughs> or if you take these substances, you're going to have these effects, but you know what the side effects are. Whereas if you're doing uh, bioengineering or something like that, this is, like... Something you don't really know what the consequences.
2: Yeah, we haven't are. got a clue, right? And right. it's like people developing the first steam engines to pump water out of the mines, right? But it's
0: not like that because the, that the, the, the to situation to is exponentially more complicated, and the outcomes are uh, exponentially more difficult to yeah, deal but, with. But the I difference would have
2: between the the limited ambition of pumping water out of the mines yeah. of a condensing engine and sort of steam powered railways. I mean, that's you know, again, it's yeah. a massive shift in what make, became possible with one sort of increment in technology. So probably with biotech, it'd be the same in a hundred years. God knows we will be.
0: Well, hopefully we'll be still alive, not <laughs> <laughs> goo that's so, been reduced so, by a, a so, nanotechnology. So, so can I make a small
2: point yeah. about you asking about future tech? So, one of the ones that I find interesting and you know may be possible is this this notion of uploading ourselves into brains right. because into the technology computers, into yeah. computers because technology for that's quite close. You can now preserve a brain and use a sort of scanning microscope to sort of take very thin slices and scan, the, right.
0: scan okay. each slice into
2: the computer. That's,
0: it kills the brain, but that's no, the price you pay well, for immortality. Well, the idea is that
2: when I die, I'd have myself uploaded, so I'd right. have my brain preserved for these fine slices, and what's lacking is the speed of processing these images into, a, into an actual functional brain, and the actual hardware to run that brain in real time is missing. And the, But that sort of technology... You know, twenty years, I wouldn't be totally amazed. If
0: 20, it, you think in twenty years we'll be able to upload our our minds? It, that's onto prote- the that's internet, a technology. Yeah.
2: That's, we won't necessarily be able to get the brain running again because oh, yeah. we'll have scanned it in. We'll have it all in our computer, but we're no good at reviving brains that have been dead five minutes. So oh, the, that's another question. Yeah, but you but, know
0: these sci-fi predictions—they're always they're always over-optimised. Oh, don't sure, they? no, no,
2: no. I'm not. I'm not an optimist, but I do think that since we can, we're almost at the stage of getting complete brain into a computer now. Right. We and we're just lacking oh, the hardware, almost. which is well, we can. See Almost scan a mouse brain in, right. in, and we just lack the a few tricks to get it fast enough. Basically.
3: Okay, Blay, what did you want to say or response? I, I, well, it, I think the technology is still at an early stage, but but I have to share. Don't share David's or, or many of the of, of the Extropians' uh, intuitions about this. To have my personality and memories put onto a computer doesn't feel like. Um, survival to me. I mean, it yeah. cl- clearly does to some people. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it feels like me dying and there being some sort of copy of me based based in silicon. That, that's just my intuition about this. It's obviously not everybody's intuition, but, uh, but I think I'd just like to share with the listeners no, that yeah. it, it doesn't feel like immortality to me.
1: <laughs> no, and I, I have to add there that, that um, you know, what would a brain be like without a body? I don't think we, we actually, you know, yet understand how you know, removing a brain from a body... Um, how it would it might not actually be interested in enough in its sort of environment to, to actually but communicate you, 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 you,
2: know, you do understand that because we have people who are locked in syndrome who have no control over their body at all and you know they mm-hmm. can still so be like, it'd be, be like, like
0: being locked into the internet yeah that's exactly, yeah, great yeah. doesn't you can surf anywhere you want you just can't do anything yeah, yeah science fiction oh, has dealt with that yeah all right <laughs> um i was going to say isn't this um isn't this post-humanism transhumanism isn't it just another type of utopianism with all the pitfalls associated with that sort of oh yeah the future's going to be great sort of attitude or it could possibly be a dystopianism if that's your humor um or i think you called it a cult didn't you
3: i well i have to be careful you know because some of my best friends are transhumanists okay. but um very often they they have uh, cult-like features uh-huh. and uh, there is a, a, a high degree of utopianism. It's, it's a new technology-based utopianism. Um, a lot of these people see the technology as solving all our human problems. And the, the lesson of previous technologies is you can solve certain problems with technology, but you generate some other ones. And, and, and still underlying it all are, is our basic humanity. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I kind of agree with Deborah. These are old-fashioned ethical questions. They're questions about who benefits and who loses. They're questions about whether or not we, we would freely choose this without pressure, mm. without without commercial pressure and so on. They, they're really quite old-fashioned ethical questions. But what's interesting is, of course, the technology is now pushing us. It's like David says, hes not that far away okay. that we actually have to answer these questions. We, well, can't, we can't leave it in the theme, field of science fiction any longer. Actually, what I wanted to say was I think that the 21st century will be the high
0: point of technological development before the resource and population pressures push so hard Against environmental factors, that human culture starts stalling or collapsing quite rapidly. So, if in the second half of the 21st century, the you know our global civilization starts to really hit hit the fan, um, how relevant does it make all these concerns?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think the, <coughs> the 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 interesting thing about the singularity, for instance, and all this talk about, you know, that we're going to reach a stage where where we, you know, intelligence is going to be redefined etc mm-hmm. is, is that uh, perhaps you know, when it happens we won't even recognise it because we'd be so far removed from what we understand mm-hmm. uh, by intelligence that we won't know that it's happening uh, I think another scenario is that um, you know, it might happen when a, an AI might reach the point of the singularity but the rest of us will be scrabbling around for what's left of the resources on planet Earth yes. <laughs> um, so uh, it, in that sense becomes quite an irrelevance So
0: you've got a super in- evolved robot shooting off Alpha Centauri, while, while we uh, try and res- preserve our atmosphere, for instance. Um,
2: yeah, I think it comes back to we don't really know what's going to happen. we have just yeah. got to suck it and see, right? I mean, right. You know,
0: so just go forward. So, so I guess the question is, what? Briefly, what should we do now?
3: Suck it and see. Uh, yeah. Is it? I, I think we need to take some very hard decisions about distribution of this technology um, and we need to look very carefully at the rights parents have because in in most liberal democracies parents have a lot of responsibility and a lot of rights uh, they get very little support which is one of the reasons why um, they are interested in the genetic makeup of their kids and, and and I do know people who who seriously argue you know writing their emails just as every parent has the duty not the right the duty to buy the best education they can for their kids so they've got the duty to buy the best jeans they can for their kids and that worries me a lot okay
0: thanks uh okay we're near the end of the program now Uh, has anybody got anything they want to plug to the listeners
1: yeah, I, I, I would very much like to plug the free university at um, at uh, Occupy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new Occupy building, um, which is the School of Ideas. It's in Featherstone Street in Islington. Uh-huh. We're running free university courses there. They are, if you have a look on the uh, School of Ideas website, School of Ideas. Oh, I can't remember. Schoolofideas.org, no, I believe. but Google it. Um, and um, look up the free university courses. Please come along.
4: Okay. And what's your website, Bucky? Oh, it's uh, t e l dot com. Right.
0: And you'll get that from the podcast on the Philosophy Now website. I'm Grant Bartley. You've been listening to the Philosophy Now radio show. My books are The Meta Revolution and Love, Solitude, and Destruction. You're available online. Please buy them. You can go to Facebook, Grant Bartley. And bye.